0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth Podcast. I'm flying solo from the apartment. Uh, We had big plans. We said we're going to go live. From now on, when I've got thoughts, I want to put them directly on YouTube so you can hear them just as I'm having the thoughts. No break. No gaps. Thought. Your brain. YouTube. Live. The masses will come. It's going to be extraordinary. Turns out, if you want to go live on YouTube, you have to actually have an internet connection. You know, you can't just be yelling into a shed. You can't just be webcamming to nothing. It doesn't work that way. Cable bill comes. You have to actually pay it. That way you can have an interconnect connection and then you can go live. Without the internet, there's no going to live, got nothing. <laughs> so anyways, I'm uh, I'm here in my apartment, gonna run through some of the news topics and then we did a interview where we got the inside scoop on everything GameStop. We uh, tracked down a dude who worked in the hedge fund, and he gave us the inside scoop and gave us all the stock tips. So if you actually listen to this through to the end, you can find out what the next GameStop is. Nope, that's actually not true. We had no stock tips, but I'll just commit to it. If you stay to the end of this podcast, the financial advice that we bring to you is gonna change your life. There are people out there who bought GameStop their finances have changed for the rest of their lives. There are people who are be, going to be quitting their shitty jobs because they put money into GameStop. And now if you just stay tuned to the end of this podcast and listen to the two stock tips we give you, we can change your lives. None of that's going to happen. But And I, I feel like I just blew all my good pitching energy on the stock tips that didn't exist. Uh, so sorry to uh, Yo Kratom and Sheath for missing out on the good plug. Uh, but thank you to our sponsors, Yo Kratom, home of the $60 kilo. If you missed out on all that goodness and you've got friends who made all sorts of money and you're just standing around and you're fucking furious because everyone you've ever met is rich and you're not because even though they told you two weeks ago, hey, you should go buy these things and you didn't listen to them, just get some Yo Kratom. You know, you probably still have 60 bucks. You can afford yourself a whole kilo and you can spend some time relaxing at home enjoying your kratom and if that doesn't work for you at least protect your assets and sheath underwear you know it's got a shelf for your balls a spot for your dick it's comfy underwear use promo code rym you're gonna get 20 percent off two more uh really quick plugs one is um friend of the podcast i've been on his show he's been on our show max glar he's got the local maximum he put together a cool piece of technology it's called Marsbot. it's available um it's an app but it's um he works with Foursquare, and Marsbots, uh, it's it, it's really cool. Basically, you download the thing, and you can just post comments about any place that you're passing by, or you can listen to other people's comments about stuff, and uh, I got hired. First corporate gig, me and my friend Menuhin. We did a uh, tour of the East Village, so go check that out. Um, it, you can uh, hear my sandwich recommendation. I don't know that we reviewed all that many sandwich shops, but we did talk a lot of shit about things as we were passing by them. Uh, So if you're in the East Village, you know, download it and uh, Marsbot, cool thing. Next is, I got to look at me. I'm making all the corporate money now. I don't even need this podcast anymore, okay? I uh, got an article published on Revolution on a recliner. Go check that out. And uh, other than that, here is us hanging out in the shed uh, before the internet went down on us because, you know, Mike Nice never paid the internet bill. Before we get into the news, I've spoken before about bathroom advocacy. I, I'm a I'm a bathroom advocate. That's why we record from a shed, which is right next to a local park, which has all the bathroom space anyone could ever need. You can pee and shit all over the place. No one's coming after you. We're here late at night. We wouldn't record during the day because during the day we wouldn't have bathroom access. Has Have you ever had a problem with someone, like there was someone who was living out of the shed for a little bit, shitting in that park all the time. Has anyone ever been busted for pissing or shitting in that park? No. 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 no,
1: not uh, not in the life of the shed. Not not in the shed. Like you know, like no. how
0: they have like um those signs in like factories. How many days since an yes. accident? How many days since someone got p- caught for uh, pissing in the park? Since someone stepped in something that wasn't a doggy bag? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So before on this podcast, I have spoken out against the courtesy flush. Flush. Are you guys ever uh, courtesy flushers? Are you aware of the courtesy flushing the, concept? Courtesy yes.
1: flush, as in midway.
0: So the courtesy yes the, the idea of the courtesy flush more than anything is it gets rid of the smell. You put that log into the bowl, mm. you flush it right away. And then it's going right away or out of there. You mm. don't have to worry about stink. They've also spoken that the courtesy flush is a good tool for not clogging a That's toilet cuz you're getting product out of there. Yeah, yeah. I've always been a reluctant courtesy flusher cuz on a lot of toilets it takes a while. If you got a shitty toilet, it takes a while for the back of the bowl to refill. Last yes. thing you want to do is go for the courtesy flush then be leaving product in there having to spend 20 minutes in the bathroom like waiting around to you know keep testing the thing again testing the thing again so i was never a courtesy flusher i'd heard of the concept and application i didn't find that it was working for me but i've discovered in my apartment you got to courtesy flush it that's the discovery i made i've been living there four months now and now i've discovered courtesy flush is the way to go you drop that log you flush it you come back for a second round and that's you know what I mean? Are you
1: just telling us that so next time we come over now we know the rules? Well,
0: you should know the rules. I'm actually gonna make them <laughs> make, make, like uh, like post it on the yeah. wall, like uh for anyone <laughs> using this toilet. But I actually think when you buy a home, yeah. there should be like toilet instructions or like you get into a new relationship, the last guy who dated the chick should just be like, Hey, here's the bathroom etiquette. Yeah. You the etiquette. You don't want to courtesy flush this thing, you do wanna courtesy flush this thing, make sure not to use too much toilet paper. Or you can go, ham. Sometimes you get those like industrial why are industrial toilets so much like why can't you get that good? fucking plumbing that like really with that, that they had like big ass arm on the side it's the way they that set just up fucking well, rock shit out. Yep. Does anyone do rich people have like just unbelievable dumpers? I would assume so. No, because they usually get like the Kohlers, which are the wider toilets, and really make you freak out because you gotta Mm. watch it go all the way around. It's almost like the Jaws music while you watch your turd whether or not it's gonna go down. Like like those games where you put the quarter in and it it. spins. Yeah, and it just keeps going and going. (laughs) Yeah, rich people they don't go. If I was really rich, I would want that industrial plumbing where you could just get a log in there and just fucking. There you go. Um, And Rhino Roberts is throwing into uh, the world, except now, why is my button working? I got a perfectly good button here. I'm pressing the button. Uh, and we just froze it. So thanks for your comment, freezing our entire, so much for showing comments. We'll come back to that later, or maybe in the future when we get a second camera angle and, uh, you know, our big yo Kratom backing throws us more budget. We'll get that good internet connection and we'll be able to read your comments. But for
1: now we're working with what we got. Uh, what, what the fuck was I talking about? You were talking about, uh, courtesy flush.
0: Oh yeah. I think that's about all I had to say on the courtesy flush. I'm, I'm coming out as being pro courtesy flush. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong in the past. I had come out as anti courtesy flush and as a bathroom advocate, I'm re- reviewing my position mm-hmm. and I'm now saying I'm pro courtesy flush. If it's the right environment and moving forward, people should just let you know, Hey, this is a place to be courtesy flushing.
1: Courtesy courteous, turdious. Yeah. Um, a slight amendment to the courtesy flush which might make it happy for both parties is you throw just maybe like a one or two wipe in with the first one so then then because sometimes you know say it's a crazy shit and you courtesy flush that shit but you end up using half a roll of fucking goddamn toilet paper trying to clean up because you're not going to step in their shower and you know you know so you're saying so, sometimes You gotta so sometimes, flush The wiping operation Because that might be the That might be the shit That really fucks up Someone's toilet Not even the fucking mat, Like the, the poop I feel weird even saying poop Instead of shit <laughs> He called the shit, shit poop, poop. <laughs> That's what I think of every time
0: uh, the other thing is, uh, the other night I was, uh, out here in the shed with Mr. Nice, uh, watching VR jerking each other off. That's, that's what we're into now. Um, he's in a committed relationship, but she made an exception for if you want to jerk off with your friends while watching VR. I, uh, I was driving home and it was snowing out, but it wasn't, it was like a nice, uh, I'm going to say one inch on the ground where I was able to really drift on streets, which is a ton of fun. Uh, It wasn't enough. I love it when you get like a foot and then you can go find that open parking lot and just Mm. do, uh, which I haven't done in years. But when you get there and it hasn't plowed yet, like two, three feet of snow and you're just doing donuts for days. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't done that in a long time. It's a lot of fun. But anyways, I was having fun taking my car around these corridors, uh, purposely uh, Mm. skidding. And do you guys have that little, if you're skidding in your car, I guess the car has some features to auto correct for it. But then the little hazard thing will come on. Yeah. Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, the traction them. control. The traction control. Yeah. When that traction control, if you're actually in a situation where you need the traction control, you know what the least helpful thing in the world is? Your car beeping and having you look down at the <laughs> dashboard. Yeah. It's like, I fucking know that I'm slipping. Do you want an <laughs> award for helping me out? Just help me out if you're going to help me out. Like, I'm not going to pull into my parking lot at the end of the night and let the other cars know, like, hey, this was a good employee. I got into a traction control problem and to helped me out. All right, one of the big news stories of the week, and fuck it, I forgot to line it up, but these things happen. Um, There was a story that the blonde lady from uh, 30 Rock, um, do you know do you know what that lady's name is? The younger one, no.
1: or not the young, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the Jane Marvel. Krakowski. Yeah. Yep, the one who does the orange juice commercials. Yeah, and yep. um,
0: so there was a rumor going on that she was in a romance with the My Pillow CEO. And firstly, once you see that in your head, you're like, I can see the two of these dating for sure. Like, I could just see that relationship working.
1: Seems like an episode in 30. Oh, my God.
0: It seems like an episode. And then I also just see the two of them banging like when they're having sex. He's just like, you're my pillow. And she's like, oh, I'm your pillow. And he's like, I'm your pillow. She's like, my your pillow. I fucked that one up. but You get what I'm saying. All right. So that's it for uh, hanging out from the shed. I'm going to do a quick run through of some of the news stories from last week. And then we've got those stock tips that you guys have been waiting for. You know, that information that's going to change your life, but doesn't really exist at the end of this. But if I am going to give you one tip, one thing that will certainly make your life better. It's sheath underwear. Why? It's the most comfortable underwear anyone's ever owned in their entire life. And I could say that because I've interviewed every single person that exists on the entire planet. I ran that. I walked around, neighborhood after neighborhood, knocking door to door, going, what's your favorite underwear? Oh, you've never tried sheath? Well then put these on. Let me know if it's better than what you're currently wearing. They said yes. And I said, all right, I'm going to have to take that back. Then I still put it on the next house. Those guys got STDs. Then we had to walk away from the operation, pretend like we never went around putting the underwear on different people, spreading these uh, viruses, especially now. Now's a bad time for viruses. Now is not the time you want to be knocking door to door saying, hey, I need you to take those underwears off that you're wearing right now and try this better underwear. And no, you cannot keep it. Yes, I know that that sheath hole feels great. I know that you already put your dick in there and it's really comfortable. I know that you've never felt the sensation of your dick being separated from your balls or being able to rest your balls onto a shelf. I know all that, but I still need to bring this to the next household so that next guy can experience the same thing and I can finish pulling the entire planet so that when I get on my parent, my podcast and I say that I pulled everybody who exists in the entire world and they all said with absolute certainty that sheath was more comfortable, it would be an accurate statement. Um, so, point is, I haven't pulled the entire world, but you know who I did pull? The people of the shed. And who cares more? I mean, whose opinion do you care about more than shed people? We're shed dwellers. We pay our internet bills. That's why we're able to go live. <laughs> sheath underwear. You use promo code RYM. Uh, you get 20% off. Protect your assets. You know, people are making money in the stock market. Maybe you didn't, but you can protect your wiener. You can put it into a sheath hole and you can preserve it. And you can put those nuts on up on a ledge. People who don't have their nuts up on a ledge... Uh, tucked away with that support, they're gonna end up drooping down to their knees. You don't wanna be one of those old guys hanging out in the gym, walking around without a towel, going, hey, look at these nuts, because gravity kicks in. That's all they have at that point. Everything in your life gets worse, but your dick starts hanging towards the floor, and so you're out in the locker room just going, hey, that's pretty good, right? Look at what gravity did for my wiener. You don't want to be one of those people. You want to sheath underwear, you protect your dick and balls. Uh, all seriousness, great underwear, great sponsor. Robert's a cool dude. So go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RYM. You get 20% off some fine underwear. And uh, next week, we'll interview the shed people who said that they were wearing the underwear and uh, they liked it. All right. First article I want to showcase is uh, Biden. You know, he's talking about how he's going to get the vaccines out there. He's trying to take all the credit for the vaccines. Meanwhile, Trump is like, OK, anything that could happen, it's for me. All right. I'm the one who made the vaccine. I personally made it. I was in the lab. I did that. Don't 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 give Biden the credit. He just he bumbles. Uh no. So Biden, I, I think the first thing he said is they were going to get to like a whatever the amount was. And Trump had already done that. But you know he's making a big deal out of that now that he's in office, uh, government's going to run efficiently again, and we're going to get the people the vaccines they need. And so his press secretary holding a press uh, conference, and uh, she's a lot of fun to watch because she's got to put on a straight face and lie, who lie through her teeth, you know? There she has to pretend like everything's being taken care of, no one's ever done it in their in their entire life. And um, at the end of the day, it's Biden who's trying to increase the size and scope of government and she's got to get out there every day with a smile and just pretend like he's looking out for all of us in our best interests and so let's take a minute to listen to what she had to say about the vaccine rollouts
2: engagement with governors, engagement with local officials uh, to provide them a greater understanding of supply, of what we are going to have access to in a farther in a, in a time frame that's farther in advance that we can avoid situations like this in the future. Uh, but we've asked the CDC to look into what's happening. Follow up on that. Uh,
1: there's arguably a way that the federal government could just basically flip the switch and help alleviate some of this problem. Uh, New York City says it has uh, 65,000
0: Doses that are reserved for the second shot, uh, is the federal government considering allowing those to be used for the first shots? So if there is not this three-day gap of um, first shot vaccinations.
2: Well, as you know, in the past we have um, uh, we have advocated for uh, releasing additional access from the reserves, but we have. Uh, really deferred to health and medical experts, so that's why we've asked the CDC to look into what the options are.
3: Okay. So you've asked the CDC to look into this, so Well, to, to
2: look into, to have the conversation with uh, officials in New York and to look into um, what is possible. But I don't want to get ahead of them. We, we want to lean into...
0: What a great job that is. Oh, now I got to reset my levels. Testing, testing, that is now too loud. There we go.
2: That's why we have asked the CDC to look into what the options are. So
3: you've asked the CDC to look into this. So there is. The well, to, to
2: look into to have the conversation with uh, officials in New York and to look into um, what is possible. But I don't want to get ahead of them. We we want to lean into experts. So that's why we have asked the CDC to look into what the options are. So you've asked the CDC to look into this. So there is. The well, to, to look into to have the conversation,
0: what a great job. We looked into it to tell them to have the conversation and that's what's so great about government. It's got so many different branches That, you know, there's always so many, well, we we called up that division. And so that division had a meeting where they started to have the conversation about having the conversation to get the directives back to these people. And we're trying to make sure that we've got open communication channels. So we've actually created a new board of communication that will figure out the guidelines for communicating between these four different groups of people to make sure that we can take care of this as swiftly as possible. And so the new directives are in place and the communication is being had. I'll do this job all day. You know, it's like something goes wrong in the shed. Well, the department of wires didn't quite get the memo from Sid that we hadn't paid the uh, cable bill. And so we weren't able to go live, but we've got new channels in place and a new board of wires. That's going to start creating the new directives in order to hand it off to these people to ensure that it will be taken care of swiftly. I wonder how long this lady's going to keep this job because What's fun about being full of shit is that you can do it. I mean, you can get up there all day. You can talk about circling back. You can run circles. You can circle back all you want. But at some point, there's only so many ways that you can lie through your teeth and go, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Government doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. I'm here with a smile on my face because they said that I had to come out here every day and pretend like Biden's uh, doing it and we all got it under control. But let's be honest, we're really not going to help you solve any of your issues Uh, But you got to do that every day. And at some point, like what do they have? Like a creative team coming up with new spin. You got to like, like just run out of basically being like, yeah, I don't fucking know. Um, I give her about two years and then I think they'll have to freshen it up, but she'll probably make it longer than Spicer did. He didn't make it very long. And on that note, Uh, we're starting to get some more news about Trump buffoonery. I was saying that's going to be the one really fun thing about Trump being out of office. We might get some of these inside stories of the things he was doing late at night in the white house. Just the weird stuff, you know, just all the hilarious stuff that always made us um, love Trump. And so here's the article It is from Bloomberg. It was Burke says Trump presented COVID charts. She never made. And so this, I think uh, Deborah Deborah, uh, uh, Burks was like the head of his medical team or something along those lines. But, uh, Deborah who recently entered her stint with Donald Trump's coronavirus task force said misinformation abounded in his white house and that the former vice president had presented parallel information about the pandemic. I saw the present, the president presenting graphs that I never made. So I know that someone else, someone out there or someone inside was creating a parallel set of data and graphics that were shown to the president. Now, there's two things that's really fun about that. First is, do you remember when uh, Trump was presenting that chart of the uh, direction of the hurricane and then he had the big circle in it? We all thought that Trump did. Wouldn't it be great if there was some other jackal on his team that's just... Through the entire thing was like presenting wrong information to Trump like Trump when every time he was like uh, there's so much well built we built so it's because some guy was like pulling showing him pictures of like stick figures and how the wall was built every time he's like they're gonna love us It's some guy was showing him pictures of people being happy like maybe Trump's not that big of an idiot maybe there was some guy the whole time who was just feeding him wrong information uh, and that's why you know he, he was actually seeing pictures of everything being so amazing and great and that's why he kept his confidence through the whole thing if someone was just giving him an honest report. And even if that's not true, just the uh, the thought that government has these well-paid people in these jobs and then there's just some other person undoing their work. It's like we've got the foremost health experts giving us the information but not directly. We have them handed off to another person so that they can make adjustments and then the president will see the adjusted version which didn't actually come from the health expert. Uh, good thing we have these people and we're paying them money, huh? Alright. Next news story um, is... I would like to get away from talking about Trump unless it's about the buffoonery, unless we see these great stories about just the weird shit he was doing, the rice he was eating, the midnight Sundays, his uh, sex schedule with Melania, and whatever happens to that weird kid of his. We haven't heard any conversation about that weird kid. I want to hear the stories about that guy. What's he been doing in the White House all these years? I guess he's just always kind of been off limits. I don't even know what that Trump's name is. Uh, but I, I feel like Trump didn't kill him, (laughs) just took him out back and said, you're no longer a part of the Trump family. Uh, but they tried to impeach Trump. Uh, that effort seems to have failed and I was looking into it and this is why the whole impeachment thing was just such a sham. First is I took a look at the constitution. I want to read to you the language of the constitution when it comes to impeachment, The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. When sitting for that purpose, they shall be an oath or affirmation. When the president of the United States is tried, the chief justice shall preside. So the line, when the president of the United States is tried, that seems to suggest to me, uh, it's got to be the president. Anybody else? Not including the constitution. It's not talking about, you can't impeach non-presidents. Doesn't say previous presidents. Doesn't say people that were once president. It seems to say when the president, which sounds like the guy who's currently president. Uh, but you know, there's all these legal scholars and they're really good at making things up and pretending like it fits the constitution. Uh, I'm just a simple man reading some simple English. Here's the next piece I want to point out. So the vice president, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from the office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And, uh, there's a simple joke structure. It's called the rule of three, you know? Uh, you, you you do two things. It establishes a pattern. You say the third thing, it breaks the pattern. I should have an example on the top of my head, but I'm not funny, so I don't. Uh, so anyways, in this case, you've created a pattern. Impeachments for and conviction of treason and treason bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Doesn't that sound like it's not just up to interpretation for, you know, the senators of Congress to go, hey, this is an impeachable defense uh, offense. Like I've heard some people say, hey, if every senator is upset about the guy sneezing, well, then, you know, it was left open to their interpretation. This doesn't sound left open to interpretation. It sounds categorically, whatever's in this other thing of high crimes and misdemeanors has to be the equivalent as being as bad as like something along the lines of treason or bribery. You know, we've we've established that it is really bad shit, like treason and bribery, really bad shit. Other high crimes, I guess that would be like murder or something along those lines. And then they were talking about how if we don't get, you know, if we don't try Trump, uh, then it's like a get out of jail free card. That's what Schumer kept saying over and over And maybe we'll have to have a legal scholar back on here, but I would like to know, and I was talking about this on part of the problem, if the president walks out of the White House one day, just decides to kill someone with an ax, so does that mean that unless they're impeached, they can't go to jail for that there's no court case like are you just off the hook for any crime that you commit while president because if that's true then i would say we probably need to change the constitution um that you know a president can just be tried for crimes if they're committing crimes it doesn't seem to me like you would need to impeach somebody in order to find them responsible for a crime um but then i guess it does leave the question of why did they create this impeachment thing whatsoever because you i guess treason bribery or other high crimes, you should just be able to try the crime and then remove them on the basis that they're a criminal and they have to go to jail for the crime. So, you know, I guess I walk myself into a question here of which I don't have the answer, but what I certainly can answer when it comes to high crimes and misdemeanors, you should go look up, Rand Paul gave a great speech, he was talking about how, you know, Trump's saying, hey, let's go peacefully protest at the Capitol, and I did not rewatch the speech, so I can't verify that that's the exact language that Trump put out there, but when he said, hey... Uh, let's go over to the Capitol. He was saying, reholding holding Bernie Sanders responsible for that guy who shot at me in the field because of what happened on healthcare. We call him holding, I think it's Maxine Waters responsible, who was screaming about harassing other senators. This clearly is not the standard of high crimes and misdemeanors that someone should be impeached for. And it also seems pretty obvious that a president should not even be impeached. And let's stop talking about Trump so we could start focusing on all the stuff that Biden's fucking up. Because but for there was a great moment, Biden signing all these executive orders And, uh, you know, at the end of one of the conferences, firstly, I think Biden is on strict orders, no saying anything that isn't literally just being read off a teleprompter. uh, And and then... At the end of these ceremonies, these picture ceremonies where people come in and the interviews are there taking pictures, they won't let, not only will they not let this guy take any questions, they don't even want to he- him to hear the questions because he'll respond to them. So, you know, they start asking questions and there's some, they got the, the perfect lady shusher librarian lady just go, no questions, don't no cry, everyone out the door, we're, we're over here, we're done, we're done, everyone's gotta go, everyone out the door, let's go, let's go. I need that lady when I'm throwing a party, you know, you get to that night, that moment in the night when you've had enough to drink and you just want everyone out. Of your place, or when I'm at other people's parties and I want to leave, you know, I, I we need that that would be a good service. The you could be, I was the presidential rush people out of room person, that's how credentialed I am. Good person to have on hand. Uh, so Biden, you know, he's uh, executive orders left and right because that's the way this country is supposed to work, we just get one guy in there. You know, he barely wins. Maybe he steals an election and then he can just uh, sign executive orders. No reason for House or the Congress, any of these things. Why don't we just uh, unwind the whole thing? We can save some money. And then the president, you know, all he's got to do, sign some executive orders. He's got a vision for what everybody wants. There's no reason to have a conversation about it. It's it's a better system. It's more efficient. So one of the things he did was he canceled the Keystone Pipeline. And according to Bloomberg, that's going to lead to 48,000 tons of scrap. Uh, So the Keystone Pipeline, I don't know. And nobody's doing journalism on it. I got all sorts of questions. Is it that there was some super wealthy guy who managed to get uh, Trump to give approval to this thing? And so, yes, it is an environmental risk. Yes, there are people being displaced from their native lands. This should not be there. And it was just totally morally wrong that it was being put up and fuck these companies and whatever investment they made because it was not in our best interest. That could be the case seems like a lot of the conversation we almost need to see a battle between trains and uh and pipelines because the pipeline people are all like look at all these jobs that we have this pipeline's more efficient and we're getting things away from the trains and the trains they waste all this energy and these trains they're actually more of an environmental hazard and then i guess the people who shut this down are all like no these pipelines they spill all the time and they're displacing people and there's environmental risk. i can't tell you what i can tell you is that i would think that as a society we probably benefit when people uh and i'm not talking about eminent domain in this particular case i'm just saying theoretically i would think we benefit if large corporations come in and they want to make um investments in infrastructure like imagine the george washington bridge that thing's got traffic all the time right and the tolls are like 15 bucks not only do you got to sit in traffic they also rape you up your butthole uh, and they, they, you know, they, they make it all automatic. So you don't even see it on your bill for, because can you imagine if you still had to pay cash every time you were going through there and it was like the 15, I don't even know what it is. I feel like it's probably about 15 bucks. Uh, I remember when in high school, when it was eight bucks and we thought that was too much. We're like, we'll just stay on this side of the George Washington bridge. And you know, maybe someone else has $2. We can get ourselves a dime. But do you remember dime bags, man, that was a high school thing. When was the last time you bought just $10 worth of weed? And when I was in high school, that made sense. Now, that just seems... Sounds like you got a problem. If you're trying to scrape together $10 just so you can have that one little nug of, you know, cheap, shitty weed. Anyways, I don't know why I went down that rabbit hole. So, you're trying to build, uh, you know, another bridge, trying to get rid of the congestion. Maybe it's going to be uh, cheaper for travelers, more efficient. And so, you get the government permit. You put a billion dollars in. You build half the bridge. And then just four years later, you know, the person in charge of government changes and they go, nope, we're revoking your permit. Uh, that just doesn't sound like a very forward-looking approach for society or incentivizing these investments to get made where there's no guarantee that in four years from now, because not everything should be a two-year project. There are some really, you know, there are probably some 10-year projects that people can be investing in. 15-year, I don't know, that sounds a little bit too forward-looking, but some substantial infrastructure... Definitely takes a long time to actually get done and for somebody to do it They probably want a guarantee of the fact that there's actually gonna be profits and that they can complete it Uh, And so it would seem to me that government being able to give you the approval you get the permits. You move forward with everything. You're actually making all this investment that the next guy can just come around and go, "Nah, we're gonna, we're gonna take that away." Um, that does not sound like a good or winning structure for anybody. But I would love to see more information on uh, exactly what the Keystone Pipeline was doing and whether or not it would actually benefit us. Because who knows? Maybe it was really, really horrible and would have. Uh, you know, uh, and created some real environmental hazards. And there were some evil corporatists building in places that they shouldn't have been. And only Trump was willing to look the other way. I doubt that was the case, but you know, maybe if someone else in the world actually with the resources like a Bloomberg, you know, included this kind of information in an article, I wouldn't just be, uh, standing here asking these questions. Uh, Next is, you know, he's got all sorts of things going on with uh, global warming. This is from uh, BBC News. I'm just going to read the top of it. Biden signs existential executive orders on climate and environment. U.S. President Joe Biden has signed a series of executive orders designed to address climate change, including a new ban on some energy drilling. These orders aim to freeze new oil and gas leases on public lands and double offshore wind produced energy by 2030. I've mentioned David Stockman's book, The Great Deformation, before. One of the chapters that I loved is he has a whole chapter breaking down the green energy initiatives of the Obama administration. And he details numerous companies that got massive amounts of money from the government, and it did not lead to any new innovations that would help us in any way. It was basically a handout to those companies. And on the same note, uh, certain companies in the same field of green energy that were funded through the private market, have made advances. Government comes in, they give you money. You're not beholden uh, to real investors or actually driving returns. So, you know, you get that government money. Maybe you're a friend of these people and boom, uh, you can kind of don't really need to actually follow through on that stuff because I don't really know what the recourse is. I guess government doesn't claw back those funds from you. So we're just, we're going to put a big old windmill on the top of the shed. Maybe we can convince them. It doesn't need to spin, doesn't need to generate any energy, but maybe we can uh, get some of this government money uh, looking to for wind produced energy. We'll go out there at the end of every show. We'll try and fart into it. We'll go, hey, we're making our best efforts to make that windmill move. It's not our fault that there's not much wind down here, but you know, maybe we can get that government funding for this wind energy and then uh, afford the cable bill and actually be able to broadcast live. So, you know, like I said, I said I was going to have investment opportunities for you as this episode go on. I said at beginning so invest in the um shed cast wind and and fart farm where we fart into the windmills um hopefully with enough velocity to capture some, because think about it, most of the time when we're farting, you just fart into the wind, or you fart in your car, that's it. That energy is expelled. There's heat there. There's a little bit of momentum and it's just gone. But we're creating a new institution where we're going to be farting into windmills to try and capture that energy and put it back into the economy. And so hopefully we're going to be able to get the government funding to really research the viability of this project. And once the government funding comes in, that's when we're looking at exponential growth. That's when not only are we going to attract other investors, but we're going to cr- attract the research scientists we need uh, to really make this vision a reality and propel us forward through fart gases. So um, I told you there were going to be stock tips, and then I told you that there weren't really going to be stock tips because I didn't have any, but now I made good on the offer. So just um, look out for... Uh, the. We'll have investment sure shortly for the Shedcast Fart Farm. Uh, okay. And then even on this note, uh, and I'd had this lined up before, cause this is actually my third attempt at getting this episode out, but you can w- go watch on YouTube. John Kerry says straight up that this is a starting point because even if we get the USA to zero emissions, it will do nothing. So, uh, just know, you know, they're, they're trying to make, they're, they're making sacrifices here for no reason whatsoever it will do absolutely nothing to help anybody except uh somehow wrangle a little bit more control to the people that want to have that and shame us as if they care about the environment uh what were some other executive orders that biden made one is he's um changed the law about here let's um let's let's read it directly because this one's this one's important you get into office these are you got to address the most important issues first Biden rescinds Trump ban on transgender people serving in the military, and I hope there's some lady sitting at home who just picks up her dick and goes, "We're going back to war." And uh, I like the idea of uh, transgender people in the military because uh, I would like it if they made a elite like SEALs team of just all those people. Because imagine if you're ISIS, like it sucks getting beat by America, but it really gets sucks getting beat by our transgender squad. Like if we have a transgender SEALs team, exclusively transgender. And, you know, we're just fucking up these Muslim terror. I'm not saying we should be at war. Uh, but if we're already going to be at war, you might as well, you know, make these people feel like, man, we better we better give up. We're being beat by their transgender people. So maybe I'll run that up to the military. You know, maybe they'll see that and it'll be like, uh, we should build the elite uh, transgender steel team squad. Uh, exclusive, Proud Boys leader was prolific informer for law enforcement. Uh, And of course he's claiming that, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a Reuters article. Somehow they got their information on the court case where his lawyer put forward that this guy has been working as an informant. Uh, And what creeps me out about this possibility of this guy being an informant is uh, they keep trying to look to the Proud Boys and go, look, we've got this horrible tide of white nationalists inside this country and it is scary And if you remember, and please go fact check me here, uh, I believe that the last time in Washington, this guy was arrested because he was the one that burnt the flag. So if theoretically the FBI uh, was, let's say, interested in the optics of painting the picture that we needed a uh, domestic terrorist title and that there was this horrible movement of white nationalists that were a significant risk to everybody... I would think that maybe they would want to put individuals into that movement that would push it a little bit more forward into that direction so that they could then go, hey, look, we we need our funding here. Or, hey, look, we told you that that was going to be a real issue. We better go treat it. And if you look at what happened in Michigan with that militia unit, we covered this a couple weeks ago. I'd have to go look back the specifics. It looked to me like the same thing happened over there where the people working for law enforcement actually pushed it in that more crazy direction so that then they could report on it and also take it down it could also very well be that the fbi is looking for some sort of power here or they're looking to make some sort of an impact uh in our culture you know where they want to be able to police certain things that they can't currently police and so they're actually leading this movement in that way and perhaps most of the people in the movement aren't even interested in that, but if they can just get these select incidents of the optics of, for instance, them burning a Black Lives Matter flag or, you know, uh, I, I guess beating people up at these, uh, at you know, at these protests or whatever it is, maybe they'll be able to, um, you know, uh, drum up enough fear for a risk that isn't real. And before we call it an episode, uh, if that doesn't, f- if that, you know, makes you afraid or doesn't make you afraid, or you missed out on this incredible money making opportunity because two, three weeks ago, someone was telling you about, hey, I got some stock tips for you. I know that you don't normally invest in the market, but I really think you should buy AMC. And you're like, AMC, why the fuck would I buy movie theaters? And then he goes, all right, maybe not AMC, but Game- GameStop, why would I? And you had a friend who said, listen, I'm very wealthy, just listen to me. Don't take all your money. Just put a little bit of money into these. I promise you're going to... And I go, this makes no sense. I'm not going to... So if you're one of those people, go get yourself some Yoke Kratom. A whole kilo for 60 bucks, it's going to make you feel better. You're not going to have to walk around with these thoughts of, man, I could have quit my job off of my, uh, my GameStop winnings. And on that note, we've got a guest who's going to actually explain what went down with the whole GameStop situation. Uh, so let's get back into the shed to hear that. While I somewhat understand the story and what took place here, I don't know all the ins and outs, so I put it out on Twitter. I was like, who wants to talk about this? First guy that got back to me, I said, hey, you're booked. And then it turns out that he actually uh, works in this field professionally, so he might have some insight for us. So welcome to the show, Mr. Donald. How you doing there?
3: Hey, Robbie, I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. So before we get into some of the details, and I guess without giving uh, too much yourself away, you work in the field, you don't want people to know who you are, Uh, if you give away any trade secrets or you say things you're not supposed to, we're uh, we're all for people being able to participate on this podcast in an, an anonymous fashion, but can you tell us a little bit about your actual professional credentials and feel free to make them up?
3: Okay, sure. Well, um, I received my master's degree in mathematics. Um, I had a special in finance. Um, I'm currently pursuing my CFA, my Chartered Financial Analyst uh, designation. I work at a hedge fund in a major American city. Um, I have, I do this, so I cover uh, real assets in uh, real estate, uh, energy, infrastructure, etc. Kit, can, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I cover a broad swath of areas, and I do a bunch of personal investing on my own. Um, and yeah, I, I've been cover- I've been uh, following this story pretty closely for a while now. And I'm just interesting to see. Uh, it's just interesting to see, like you know, the broader reaction. It's really strange to see, like your own profession, it's kind of, like, splattered all over, you know, Twitter and social media. Because I know people like are tangentially aware of like, the stock market and the financial industry, but like you know, to see like memes and viral tweets about it and all that stuff, it's 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 something to see, you know. So I'm very, you know, it's been it's been a hell of a week.
0: Alright, so I just want to make sure that we're getting uh, good audio here, and it looks to me like Donald's real flat when he's talking. Donald, you mind just, uh, I want to test your levels a little bit. Do you mind just talking again for a second?
3: Yeah, sure. Can you hear me now? How How does this sound?
0: Yeah, that's way better. Okay, a second ago, I just uh, you weren't coming in through so clearly, so I'm, I'm happy to have you there. So a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine actually reached out to me, and he said, dude, you got to get in on GameStop, and you got to get in on AMC. And now I don't invest much, and I certainly am not a fan of – Uh, The wild speculative things or things that I don't understand GameStop is not a place that I've been to in the last decade I understand that more of the video game market is digital like I have an oculus now I bought the first video game I have in the last 10 years and I just ordered it digitally most people they're on the subscription plans So I would think GameStop is not the place I want to put my money because I'm more of if I'm gonna buy something I like to not trade I want to buy and hold same thing with AMC So I really think AMC is making some wild and incredible comeback or that there's going to be massive demand for movie theaters. That's not something that I want to buy and hold. It doesn't seem like a good option for me. So on both of them, I was like, all right, sounds interesting. And that guy was so right that yesterday I called him up in the morning and he goes, oh no, it was at the end of the day. And he just went, Rob, I'm rich. I just bought myself a new house and a Lamborghini. And I was like, man, I guess I I missed out on this one. Um, but to loop people in and then you can kind of give people the fuller story. So essentially you have this forum on Reddit. It's called Reddit wall street. Uh, and there was big time shorts out on GameStop. Uh, and so a bunch of retail investors actually piled into this thing and they managed to beat the hedge funds that had the shorts. So I'll let, I'll turn it back over to you so you can actually give us some more of the dirty details on the story.
3: Okay, great. Well, uh, from the beginning. So let's look at like structurally how this happened. So if you look at the 80s and 90s and even the 2000s and even some of the 2010s, trading was not free. You had to go directly through a broker at like a major investment bank. So it was approximately, you know, it was going to be several dollars per trade. Like in the 80s and 90s, it was $7 per trade, right? And even the 2000s, the cost was coming down. And then 2010s and the early, uh, late 2000s, a lot of online brokerages came online, like TD Ameritrade, uh, Charles Schwab, Robinhood was the big one. And so what these did was that they brought down the cost of trading. So now um, realtor investors can get into trading. So now anyone with um, you know, an internet connection and a smartphone can jump straight into any um, security they want. They can hop in and out. They can buy options. They can buy bonds. They can buy equities. And I think that's really important in the context of the story because retail investors have have largely been shut out. So you know, if uh, for example, a lot of hedge funds wanted to manipulate the market, you know, historically they would just buy up uh, you know large blocks of a, of a security and drive up the price or vice versa. And so with this, it was kind of like the, the you can kind of look at it as the dem- democratization of finance. In can de- we? Central, uh, well. I,
0: I want to pause you for one second there because I sure. would think, in my opinion, the um. I would think that the hedge funds, the other people, they're kind of the sharks, and they want as much money into this system as possible. So from what I understand a Robinhood is they're front-running every order. Now, that's not necessarily a problem because at the end of the day, if I want to buy General Motors and like I'm a buy-and-hold investor, the fact that they might front-run my order... If I buy, if I buy ten, if it costs me ten cents more, but I get the transaction for free, and it's not even ten cents. We're talking about slices of a penny. It doesn't matter to me. And then they make their money because they're front running, front running these things in mass. And I guess there's also additional things that they're able to do in terms of that. If all the stocks are there, they're able to package it together so that they can lend it to people to short, and you know to me i would think that they're like the more suckers they can get into the casino and the more movie that money that is swirling around the more that the more sophisticated players can figure out how to you know trade off their algorithms the momentum and be more sophisticated so i would have thought that it was like the more players in the casino the actual better that would be for all of like your long-term hedge funds and more sophisticated players do i have that wrong
3: Um, No, I I think that's, uh, for the most part, right. I just, uh, I think what these people didn't expect, like these sophisticated investors, is like, you know, coordination by retail investors, you know, which is a big thing, you know. And you're absolutely right that, um, you know, um, essentially having more players in the market increases the amount of data. Which, by definition, is going to um, increase potential risk opportunities, potential um, arbitrage opportunities, et cetera. So, I do think that a lot of hedge funds largely have benefited from the influx of retail investors over the last ten years into the um, into the markets. It's also caused a huge rise in passive investing. That's why you've seen like um, a lot of like you know major uh, mainstream names like Tesla, Amazon, Fang stocks. You know, go up ext- uh, enormously in price because of the rise of passive imbe- passive investment vehicles, but I do think that um I do think what just, uh, these large sophisticated investors quote unquote didn't expect is like broad scale um, coordination by retail investors. And that's okay, and sure. then
0: just a wild ass question from me: If you look at like the total money in the market, and we were to you know just make your simple pie graph. And I had in one slice of the pie, it was like, you know, hedge funds, money in the market. Another slice of the pie was pension funds. And then the next slice of the pie was, you know, schmucks like me who are on Robin Hood. I would still think that that Robin Hood slice would be not as large as kind of your institutional players but maybe it's like any other market, you know, that you can't beat the masses. It's like if you got millions of people with a single dollar or $10 in the market, you know, that actually represents a large amount of the money that's sitting in the stock market. So I'm curious because I've never this is the first I'm thinking of this right now as I'm asking this question. If we were to look at that pie of money in the market, um like how much of a percentage of the money in the market would you say is these newcomers who are like got bored during Corona opened up their Robin Hood accounts and are just kind of, you know, new to the market and trading a couple thousand dollars.
3: Um, Obviously, there's no exact data out there, but like, you know, from my estimates, I like, um, you know, from what I've seen at work and et cetera, I've seen uh, like uh, on Wednesday or no, excuse me. Yeah. Wednesday, there was $25 billion worth of transactions of GameStop and i think approximately eight percent of those came from retail investors so just uh for context a lot of the money is still like you know large institutions asset managers etc and a relatively small portion of the money is uh is newcomers however like when you consider the fact that like you know maybe 10 15 years ago the retail investors were like you know maybe like one percent and, you know, nowadays they might be like, you know, low double digits, high single digits. Like That's a that's a significant increase. And all, and the big thing is not just the fact like the amount of money that they have, but the fact like, that they're all, they're all trading at the exact same time. Like, you know, if 10 percent of the market immediately starts like, you know, buying and buying and buying all, all coordinated once tomorrow, that's going to shift the price regardless of like, you know, if it's um, if it's not like 50 percent of the market. If 50 percent of the market starts doing it, it would, you know, cause huge. um. Uh, waves which doesn't happen very often exactly but, right okay yeah. so now l-
0: let's describe what so actually before we start to describe the the specifics of what's so fun of this story i interrupted you in the middle of uh a point earlier when uh, you were describing how the playing field has changed because there's so many retail investors in the system and i was suggesting that i would think that that would benefit your larger hedge funds who are you know acting in a more sophisticated way so the more the more people that are there the more they can kind of capture spreads but i'd cut you off so if uh you can remember that point we can pick back up from there
3: um so yeah essentially no okay let me try and go back to think about what i was thinking about um also, also sorry this is my first time on a podcast so if i'm like stuttering that's what that is no you're um, killing it dude you're giving us fine information thank you man appreciate it but yeah essentially uh re- um Online brokerages just uh, bringing down the cost of trading has like um, has largely democ- democratized finance in the sense that like you know anyone can join now anyone with a smartphone and a internet connection can join. If you go on our, our Wall Street Bets was which was the subreddit that was taken down, you would see like you know people were like oh I have like a thousand dollars left in my account I have like you know two thousand I have eight hundred and these people were turning that into like you know sixty seventy eighty thousand dollars of some of these trades, which is a very very Thing you know, historically, if you want to do that, you'd, you'd have to call your broker again. You can't, you know, you can't place this many orders. There's like limit violations, etc. So, I do think that, um, I, I just think like what it goes back to is the is the sense of coordination by the people, which I think is a very, you know, beautiful and very unique thing. This was not going to happen before, you know, in the past, you couldn't have like, you know, eight or ten percent of the market of the retail investors just calling in the brokers all at once, like, oh, hey, buy this stock, oh, hey, buy oh.
0: I get n- now what you're saying. I, You know what? I didn't catch it until you said it just now. And so I'm going to repeat it for the audience in case they didn't like, they didn't catch it, but... In other words, prior to this technology, if everyone wanted to pile into a stock, it would not have been possible because you wouldn't have been able to reach your broker and there was only so many transactions that it could have processed. Now that everything's free and digital and online, if people do want to pile into a stock, they can actually do that, which means that they can stay ahead of the, you know like the algorithms or these fast people, like they're not going to just get shut out of a market while something's moving
3: exactly and also something to think about is the fact that like our wall street bets had about 2.1 million users and a lot of those were people in their 20s and late teens right so, like, you know, you're the you're the chairman or you're someone high up in our Wall Street bets. You make a post and it says, you know, like, we're going to we're going to try buying the stock because we think it's like, you know, it has potential, et cetera. You have like two point one million users who all see that who have nothing better to do. and like, oh, Frankly, aren't like, you know, overly um aren't going to do a lot of due diligence about the stock. Uh, and so, you know, they all pile in all at once, which can really, you know, manip- manipulate the market. quote. Unquote.
0: Before. So before we take a look at what happened in this case, and it is a fascinating case. To the people that were following Wall Street bets, how were they avoiding? Because um, I remember even back in the day, I used to have a Scott Trade account. Trades were seven bucks when I was in high school. And I was really interested, thought I was working in finance. It did not go my way. And most of what I invested in my high school years, um, I mean, I had some wins and some losses. My biggest loss was General Motors. And that kind of spooked me out of investing. Um, but. I do remember the old pump and dump schemes when you got that email saying, hey, you got to get into this thing, blank is going to happen, and people got suckered for those, and it was a pump and dump, if I was the first person to suggest to everyone, hey, you got to go buy this, and people buy it, and then I sell out, once they start buying it, I make my profit simple pump and dump. So I would think if you got something called Wall Street Bets and I know that there's 2 million dumb idiots on there, I post, everyone goes to buy in, I sell out. It doesn't matter if the stock's good or bad, good or bad, you know, pump and dump. Now, I would assume that there must have been something going on on the page that they were somewhat policing for that because in other words otherwise right away people would go hey i better do my homework maybe this guy because otherwise it's basically just a game of first to post on the page first to post on the page you buy it before you post you know that if you post it people are going to buy it and then you just have to get out um so how are they kind of avoiding that
3: situation well a couple things to think about so number one yeah like before wall street Street bets got Actually said on the page, hey, this is not formal investment advice. Take this; like these are just ideas, which is just a discussion we're having. So you know, don't take this like, and don't take this and like you know, see it as formal investment advice. So I think that's like one like kind of like legal way that they kind of get out of it, got out of it. And then the other thing that you're mentioning is yeah, exactly pump and dump and front running in a sense like um, a lot of people were saying the SEC is going to open up an investigation on a lot of the people's bets which I don't think is very likely because a lot of them are working with, so, with such little capital like under like under a thousand dollars in some cases so I don't think it's very likely but like you know that, that is something that you, that you think about right because like, it's essentially like a coordinated message board where like you know, you post and everyone, uh, everyone just piles into a stock. Although I don't think that was happening that much. Like I've been on our, our Wall Street bets for about six months now before it got taken down. And it's not like you know, every time someone posts, posted like everyone would just jump into it. Recently, it became a lot more coordinated. And like you know, you saw our Wall Street bets the day got taken down. And like the top posts were like, "Don't sell, hold the line," or "Everyone buy, we're gonna crush the cat we're gonna crush the hedge funds." So it became more of like you know, a, more of like a rebellion type thing. But previously, it was an actual like, okay, here, here's what I think is a good idea, etc. You know.
0: All right. So now just to explore this actual story, um, the first part of it, which I think is interesting and we got to put down on the table, is it sounds like some of the institutional players, including I believe it's Melvin whatever, um, Melvin were trying to bankrupt um, GameStop. They looked at GameStop. They said, hey, this is a weak player. We're going to short it. And so first, there are two elements of this that I would love for you to explain to us. Firstly, how does that work that if you're a large, like in a typical market, like let's say this is 10 years ago, Wall Street bets doesn't exist. So I guess if you're a hedge fund, you can go, hey, I can pile enough money into this on the short side that it's going to drive the price down and lead to a bankruptcy. So it's a two part question. First is absent of Wall Street bets. Can you explain to me how a large player can come in and just go, all right, we're shorting this thing out of existence. And then also what the repercussions of that are, because obviously you got a company. It's employed by some people. Maybe it's surviving for a certain duration of time, absent of just Wall Street shorting it. Um, so, or maybe you can make the um, the the argument that if someone can just short a thing out of existence, maybe it's better for the market. I don't know how you make that a market make that argument. But I turn it to you. Two part question. Ten years ago, Wall Street bet doesn't exist. How exactly? What what exactly was the play that these hedge funds were trying to do? And would you say that it's an evil play with some sort of negative repercussions, you know, to the
3: public at large? Um, sure. Well, in terms of, like, what has changed for the hedge funds, I don't think, like, I mean... Melbourne Capital Management is just a hedge fund and they're trying to generate returns. And they were looking at GameStop and they thought like, okay, the stock is four bucks and 50 cents a share. And it's a shitty company. It should be like 30 cents a share. So we think it's overvalued. So we're gonna short it. And what shorting it means is you go to a broker, you borrow the the shares of GameStop, you sell those in the open market, you know, for whatever, 450 each. And then you hope that it goes down to thirty cents each. Then you buy them back for thirty cents each and return the, sh- the shares that you borrowed. Right? That's how shorting works. So I don't think that you know their process necessarily has changed too much. Obviously now they have more data, so ma- now maybe they have like potentially more avenues they can go down. Like, oh hey, you know a bunch of people, a on- bunch of people in this um, in this market are going to go do this. So potentially that's a good short. And so I think um, in the in the in the sense that they have more data, like that's another avenue that they can pursue. And in terms of like whether it's ethical or not, like. mean i hate to sound like a socialist type person but like yeah i do think that it is pretty predatory in a lot of ways um like you know uh, a lot of people call it like vulture capital instead of venture capital because they're essentially just looking at a stock that's already beaten down have a bunch of people buy it if it goes if it does go down and they just pile in and say, Okay, everyone short it, we're gonna drop the price down, we're gonna generate some returns, you know, and this is done artificially, potentially coordinated. Like, you know, there used to be idea meetings, what people used to say is like where a bunch of hedge fund managers would just meet for dinner and they'd say this stock sucks, it's all like, you know, go short on it or potentially like this stock doesn't suck, let's go short on it. because if we just drive it down like 30 percent we can generate some decent returns.
0: Okay. And is, uh, coordinating in that way, like, let's say you're the four or five largest hedge funds, uh, and coordinated efforts can move a market. Uh, is that, is that, I, and I'm not even saying like, I'd have to take a step back and think about it from the libertarian perspective, whether or not like there's something that's immoral or unethical there, but, um, is that illegal to do?
3: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure about all the laws, but like, yeah, I know that there's laws, also all sorts of laws about like you know, uh, trading information when you have uh, trading information when you have like you know, um, certain fiduciary responsibilities to your investors. Because like for a hedge fund, you need to, you, you're only allowed to invest if you're an accredited investor, which means you have at least a million dollars in uh, liquid assets. And so if you have that and you're certified as a hedge fund, there's all sorts of regulations that you're not allowed to do. And I'm, I'm sure like you know, I'm sure that these people found ways around it. But yeah, I'm sure that there are. Uh, you know, rules around, like, you know, not a lot to discuss, like, you know, positions with other managers, et cetera. All right. So now let's actually talk what happened
0: here, because it's it's really fun and it's really interesting. Uh, But from what I understand, somehow Wall Street Bets got their hands on the information that there was a very large short position out on GameStop. And not only was there a very large short position, they were actually shorting more shares than are available in the market. Uh, Now, I don't know if that's because I guess they're buying put options or... What, what would that be? Selling naked call no, you wouldn't be selling naked calls. That doesn't make sense for for a short, but um
3: they were buying puts primarily.
0: They're buying puts. So in other words, if you're buying puts, uh puts are I mean, all options are essentially a simple derivative product of the stocks. Um, but like, you know, buying a single call option, when you buy a single call option, like how many shares of stock is that representative mm-hmm. of 100 100 shares. So if you buy a single put it's the same. You're buying basically you're shorting if you're buying a put, a naked put, you're basically the equivalent of shorting 100 shares of the stock. Is that accurate? Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. So in other words, instead of shorting the stock, they're buying all they're buying naked puts. Naked puts means you don't actually own the the stock. So if it, if you're naked put, if you're wrong about the direction of the market you have to then actually go and buy the stock in order to settle your option whereas if you buy if you own all those shares and you sell the put so then you own the shares and you can cover your position uh and so i guess if people are and it's easy enough you can track the option activity on a stock right like if i just looked up a stock tomorrow i can see what the option activity is in terms of how many of any particular contract has been sold is that accurate
3: Yes, exactly. You so in other words, it's as simple
0: as I can look at any given stock and go, hey, there's more put positions that have been sold on the market here than actually exist in physical stock. Is that is that also accurate? Like that simple math that, you know, even tomorrow I could look at, I don't know, theoretically, if we sold Shed Corp and there was 100 shares in existence of Shed Corp and somehow there were 100 put put options on Shed Corp, which mean that there are over 1,000 shares, I could go, oh shit, they're shorting more shares than actually exist.
3: Yeah, exactly. You'd be able to see that.
0: All right, so it's actually fairly simple math. So in other words, these guys just looked at um, the people of... Uh, And I haven't actually seen the post. It's just the story that I heard. But the people on Wall Street bets, they looked at the short positions and said, hey, these guys are trying to short more stock than is in existence. And they said, hey, let's all pile into this thing. And what makes piling into it a sure bet is that at some point, people need to settle their short positions and you end up what they call as a short squeeze, where the people are forced to settle their positions on more stock than actually exists which means that there's, like, I mean, not infinite demand, but there's going to be more demand for the stock than there is actual stock, which means that they have to continuously try and chase less and less available stock, and they have to close out of their position. And the higher the thing goes, the more likely they are to receive a margin call, which means the higher the stock goes, the more people are going to have to close out of their short position. So if you can actually just flag these situations... Like, this is almost a simple simple moneymaker. I'm surprised more hedge funds don't do this play that if I can just see, hey, some other fuckers are shorting this with more than what's available in stock, I can just pile in on the buy side and fuck them over. It would seem to me like this would almost be a pretty mechanical Wall Street maneuver. Just do the math, build an algorithm that tells me when there's too many shorts out on any given stock and fuck those people.
3: Yeah, I do think like that's a common thing, but like the reality is, that it's just it doesn't happen very much because like you know a lot of uh, hedge funds realize that there's a lot of risk involved with shorting because potentially the losses with shorting are unlimited. If right. you go long on stock, like the, the most you can lose is if the stock goes to zero. But if you go short on it, the stock you know keep on going high and high forever, just like a Tesla, right? So potentially um, that could cause a lot of returns, uh, uh, losses rather, for these hedge funds. So I think a lot of them are careful about doing something like this. And the reason they weren't like, you know, they weren't, I think, nervous about doing it with GameStop is that it's not a trending company at all. And it's become kind of like up until this last week, GameStop was basically like a meme in the finance community because it's like, well, how the who the fuck is still buying GameStop? How is that company still in business? So I do think like maybe that's why they got a little carried away potentially. And I do think another thing to consider is the fact that like Melvin Capital Management, the company, the hedge fund that was very short on um, GameStop was a major shorter of Tesla, Right. So it's interesting because uh, Tesla is a very uh, popular uh, stock among retail investors. So I think a lot. Of, I mean, I don't. I don't want to speak for anyone. On, a lot of them took that personally, and they kind of thought like, okay, these fuckers were like, you know, shoot, super short Tesla. They were trying to destroy Elon Musk, and now they're super short uh, GameStop. Let's try to stick it to them, you know?
0: Right. And it, it's um, it's funny for my limited experience of working. in uh, – I I worked in one hedge fund as an intern in, co- in college, and then actually, and then what I thought was a hedge fund, but it turned out to be they were more. Money makers in gold, which I I didn't understand. The whole options thing and market making was above my head. Uh, and for people that don't work in this field at all, I guess I'm a little bit more interested in the technical trading or playing things directionally. Whereas the um, the market makers are just more interested in capturing a spread. And to be honest, that was way too complicated for me. Um, but speaking to uh, the point that we were talking about a second ago with um, these hedge funds, uh, I remember they were saying that like it's just it's uh, it's unAmerican or whatever. <laughs> I forgot what they're saying was, but that it's uh, maybe they were saying it's unAmerican to short the market. And to speak to that point, what what there might have been really good opportunities to go. Hey, the fundamentals are off here. This company should not still be in business. Let's go short it. I would think that in this environment, it's really hard to make those plays whatsoever because there are no fundamentals. It's how much money is the Fed going to put into this thing? You can short a company that shouldn't exist, and you should be making that money. And the Fed goes, you know what? We're going to buy their junk bonds. And then it's not like the Fed goes, oh, well, we better give this hedge fund the money that they put into shorting this because uh, we cheated the market. Like At the end of the day, no matter how many fundamentals are on the table and how right you are, it's hard to tell what the fuck's gonna happen here when, in my opinion, the feds distorted the entire market by making you know some forms of capital available either through buying corporate bonds, junk bonds, or you know even some of the effects we're still seeing from like you know QE one, two, and I don't even know what number they got up.
3: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. You know what I, what I, I saw on Twitter all, all day yesterday, which was really irritating to me was like people were blaming capitalism, like, oh, this is capitalism, swap, this is capitalism. Like, you know and I keep going back to the fact like you know, the, fu- the fucking federal government printed like whatever it is three, four trillion dollars this last year. and all that money goes directly into financial assets predominantly. And so that dri- that artificially drives up prices, which is going to distort the market. You know, it's so, like you're going to you're going to see a lot of like you know strange fluctuations up and down, and like that's not the fault of capitalism. That's not a free market. It reminds me of like how people talked about like, you know the big banks being built out in two thousand eight. Like oh look at capitalism. Like, that's not capitalism. You know, like that's that's corporatism. That's um that's corrupt. You know, banksters, Janet Yellen, the Fed, the Treasury, Congress, etc. And like you know, now people are saying, "Oh, Congress should start a, um, like a committee to look into what happened." And I just keep going, my to like, what the fuck do you think? Do you people think is going to happen? Like, what they're going to hand out some fines? They're going to make some statements? Like, nothing is going to happen, you know?
0: Yeah, and and also the entire attraction to Wall Street, at least in my in in, in to some ways, is the fact that there's so much money that's in that system. Somewhat because of the Fed, that it, it like like I was saying at the beginning that winners attract more people to the casino. Um, the fact that, you know, everyone's pensions and everyone's money, everyone who could afford to be in the market has done well over the last couple of years, and that's because of the Fed's involvement. That's gonna attract more and more people, which is gonna create more and more scenarios like this, which brings me to my my next question. When I see your schmucks at home, your twenty year olds hanging out on a website like reddit, um, Reddit, whatever, and beating the house. This just strikes me like the end of the bubble like I, maybe I'm just dead wrong maybe the thing just keeps going up forever but there's something about stories like this that make me feel like we're at the end of the bubble cycle when you have like the real crazy crazy shit where an asshole like me if I just listened to my friend who called me a couple weeks ago could have made more than my annual salary in a week because of a fucking fluke like if I put a grand, if I put a grand grand into GameStop the other day I mean I, I'm not doing the math you're good at math what would I have made if I put a grand into GameStop when it was at like, I think my my friend... No, my friend told me about maybe it was either AMC or GameStop when it was at like $4 a share. On either of those, I probably would be at like 60 grand or something, right?
3: Uh, yeah, if you put a grand in at four twenty-five a share, then you sold at GameStop's high, I think it would have been um, a little shy of 80 grand.
0: There you go. I would have made more than I've ever made in a year of working by some random play. Now, maybe this is just going to be one of the greatest fluke stories we've ever heard, uh, but I kind of feel like when you've got All the random schmucks rushing in like this... Uh, firstly, I think the Wall Street players and we're going to get to this next with all the you know, all the shenanigans they pulled today, I think they're going to learn how to beat these players, you got to realize the math mind sitting, like you, sitting in rooms working these algorithms you'll figure out the momentum trading on once something gets posted on one of these threads, it's just new information and believe me, you guys will figure out how to fucking wipe these kids, it's almost like when you play poker and some kid goes all in early on a bluff and he wins, but then you just register like, oh, this guy's a bluffer and then you know how to play them like Wall Street Are you guys are the geniuses of geniuses And especially not that you guys Win all the time but it's like Being an actuary if you were going to keep playing The game over and over you know what I mean The, the odds are in the house's
3: favor Yeah, you win 55% of the time and long term, you're going to have everything, you know?
0: Right. So, but I'm curious to know, do you think any of this um, points to like kind of being at the end of this Wall Street bubble? Or do you think this was just a a freak fun week? And who knows, maybe we're going to have a little bit more, um, you know, power to the market against the institutional players.
3: Uh, it's very hard to say. I mean, in a vacuum, I would say, yes, this means like we're towards the end of the bubble. However, the Fed is also co- has already committed to keeping interest rates at or, at or around zero until 2023. And in addition to that, Joe Biden and his new administration will almost certainly pass new stimulus, which which will put another, you know, fresh three, two, three two three trillion dollars straight into the market, which I think is extremely concerning, obviously. But I don't think there's anything you can do to stop it at this point. So I mean, I do think it is entirely possible, like, you know, the bubble might pop in the next few you know, months or the next year here, potentially. But I do think that due to potential, like, government manipulation, the bubble might persist for another few years, which is going to make it much, much worse when it pops, actually, which is, you know, a kind of scary thought. That's just the reality, you know?
0: Right. Okay. so last question for you. So already today, Robin Hood Um, they shut down people's ability to buy shares in these particular companies. And I don't think they were the only ones to do it. I believe TD uh, Ameritrade did it as well. Um, What my friend who had invested in these companies pointed out to me is that tomorrow is... uh, Excuse me, burping for my beer. Tomorrow is when the uh, strike price or when these options expire. And so if you just think about this as being like a game... If the hedge funds can somehow figure out how to get the price down right at the last day. So even if tomorrow, you know, the price goes back down to $4 and then the day after that it goes back up to $500, as long as these options, when they expire, hopefully expire down, they can potentially at least avoid some of the losses or re-rig this slightly back in their favor. And then maybe four years from now, the SEC takes a look at what happens and, you know, they face some fines, but it's not as bad as, you know, plugging $4, $5, 6000000000 billion in losses, uh, which yeah. also points to the fact that, you know, the retail investors, while they might be taking a victory now, uh, you're still playing against the House who can control the rules and do things like say, hey, we're not going to sell you these shares. Uh, so I'm curious to 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 hear your thoughts on what kind of changes we might see to investing so that the institutional players can make sure that they don't have this problem again. And um, also, I guess it's the three part question if you think they're gonna get in trouble for what they did today.
3: Okay, well, let's let's talk well, this is a very big question. I think it's very important. Number one, Warren Buffett always says that it takes um 30 years to build a reputation and one day to destroy it. And when you think about that, You're going to think a lot more carefully about your actions. Robinhood has consistently been seen as the platform for like common people and retail investors and people who don't have a ton of money to invest directly into the market. And so when Robinhood earlier today said, We're not going to allow you to uh, to, uh, buy GameStop anymore or buy AMC or buy any of these um, hot stocks because of specifically of like what, you know, a lot of these hedge funds have directed us to do, I'm telling you, uh, Robinhood destroyed its reputation, maybe not forever, but for a damn long time. There are a lot of people who are like, Fuck Robinhood, including myself. I'm not going to use Robinhood.
0: So what, what are you, you know, going to switch to? I think TD Ameritrade did the same thing.
3: Yeah, this is this is the next part of the question. Like, what changes are you going to see? Like, I think this is going to be prime uh, a prime hotspot for decentralization and blockchain technology to allow to allow it such that you know you're not able to see you know people's transactions and people are able to trade without you know their information being out there and the market isn't able to be manipulated by these large hedge fund players decentralized, then Citadel and Melvin Capital couldn't just give Robinhood a call and say, yo, stop letting people buy these shares because, like, you know, we want the price to artificially go down. So I do think this is prime uh, real estate for blockchain and decentralized technology to come in and to try to innovate in this market.
0: All right. So before we let you go, uh, any closing thoughts on this? Because this was a, a fascinating topic because most people who aren't invested in the market don't think about the stock market that often. Um, and obviously it was fun to see a hedge fund take a loss. You know, it's like watching, uh, I mean, I'm a Yankees fan, but it's like watching the Yankees lose to whatever the worst team in the the MLB is. It's always fun to root for the underdog. Uh, and especially as no one likes the big banks or these large institutional players. It's kind of fun to see them take a loss, which is why this was such a fun story. Um, So any other things that you just want to throw out there you feel like the run your mouth fans should be aware of?
3: Okay, guys, well, this is what I'm going to this is what I'm going to leave you with. This represents institutional failure uh, on a major level in such a way that we've seen the last 10 years. Donald Trump represented institutional failure in politics. And I think he also represented institutional failure in media. Now you're seeing institutional failure in the legacy financial system, which is essentially a quasi-governmental organization. I do think that you're going to see a lot more innovation coming out because I do think people are starting to realize like they have a common enemy, and the financial system is involved in that, not just like the media class, not just the political class, etc. So I do think that this is you know a watershed moment in a lot of ways. And I, I you know I am kind of concerned short term what could happen because I do think there will be a lot of you know volatility in the market and vol and like just social unrest when people are real- realizing holy fuck the isn't free the media isn't free politics is, is rigged. What the Fuck is going on so i am potentially concerned about that short term but i'm telling you guys this represent this is actually a good thing because the more like you know the more they show their hand the more realize it's all bullshit and the more people will you know turn against these major institutions that have been fucking over the american people and fucking over just you know people in general and destroying the market destroying you know lives for decades now
0: so what do you say buy the vix how do i make money on this um by bitcoin Buy Bitcoin. So you're your long Bitcoin, even, I don't know where it is right now. What's it at, like, 35K or something? 30? 35?
3: I think it's 33-something. Like, like
0: yeah. you, you still say it's a buy at 33?
3: Uh, well, well I mean, when I say buy Bitcoin, I'm, kind of, I'm half-joking. I am long on Bitcoin, but I'm just more long on blockchain and decentralized technology in general. So if you ever see anything that you th- think is going to um, essentially, like, decentralize, you know, influence, essentially in whatever field whether that be media whether that be uh, finance whatever the case i would be long on that because that is going to be you know extremely valuable the more these institutions show how corrupt they are all
0: right awesome thanks so much for uh for joining us i assume as he came on not under your name and without the video there's probably nothing that you want to plug uh but if there is i don't know maybe you know a lady uh who sells good cookies you want us to know about it here's here's a chance to throw a plug out to the wind
3: initially i was kind of hesitant to give my name but actually you guys can all follow me on twitter i mean it's just politics it's memes it's a lot of stuff um you know i'm just a regular guy and i i I really you know would love to get my name out there i'd love to be more involved in the libertarian community etc so if you could you know if you could give my twitter a follow that'd be great it's never a simp n-e-v-e-r-e-e-r-a S-I-M-P, never a simp. I'm followed by Robbie Bernstein, which is the coolest thing in the world. So, there
0: you yeah. go. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I love that that is an honor for you. All right, that's it. Thanks so much for the education. And uh, next time there's a big financial topic. I hope to have you back.
3: Anytime, Robbie. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: All right, later, dude. Thank you. Bye.